people said. You can be seated. Thank you, Chris, Allison, Walter. Thank you so much. If we're the body of Christ, who is the head? Christ Jesus. Isn't that something? Every true church, every true local church, now there's a lot of them that have church that's not a biblical church. Uh, The Bible defines what a church is, but just like our church, who we desire to be a, a biblical church, Christ is the head of our church and then of every individual believer. Isn't that awesome? We all serve the same head. And Paul talks a lot about this in uh, Romans 12 and in Corinthians 12 about many members but one body. That's an amazing thing. But Christ is the head of the church. Your Bible's open to Revelation chapter 19 because we, we didn't finish... We didn't finish the Battle of Armageddon, and uh, so we want to we want to return to uh, Revelation chapter uh, Revelation chapter nineteen. So when you find Revelation chapter nineteen, <clears throat> then I want you to go to Matthew chapter twenty four. So you're going to hold your finger at Revelation chapter nineteen, and then I want you to go to Matthew chapter uh, twenty four. And the reason we go to Matthew chapter 24 is this is a discourse of, from the Lord Jesus Christ about the end of days. So we want to read again and he mentions what is called the abomination of desolation, what takes place in the middle of the tribulation and he mentions the end of days, the, the battle of, not technically by name the battle of Armageddon, but we want to read what Jesus had to say about the last days, the, the last few days of before he returns to this earth. If I don't read it now, I'll forget to read it. So let me read you a couple of verses I just wrote. This says, this is not in Revelation 19. This is not in Matthew 24. This is the end of Paul's, um, and as a matter of fact, I think I read part of this last week in 2 Timothy 4, where Paul's come to the end of his life, and he uses uses the word that his life is an act of worship, that his, him dying he uses the word, we would call it liturgy. He, he, he mentions that his life being executed for the cause of Christ was an act of worship, an act of liturgy for the glory of God. Interesting. But this is one of the things he said about his life. And I and, uh, wonder if it's what we can say about ours. I, I asked you this last week. There's laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, Christ is the righteous judge. Aren't you grateful that the righteous judge is also your redeemer? Isn't that awesome? Which the the Lord, the righteous judge, Paul says, will award me on that Day. There's a day, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the day. And we're talking about lost people. We're talking about saved people. Lost people go to the great white throne judgment. And they don't bode well at all. But 2 Corinthians 5.10 and also in 1 Corinthians it says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ 
so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body in this life, whether good or bad. And we know that Paul also illustrates this by explaining that some of our works are hay and stubble, wood, hay, and stubble, and they'll be tried by fire. That doesn't bode well for those kind of works. But then there are works of gold, silver, and precious stones. And by the way, those get more precious the hotter the fire, right? So we grow in our faith, and so those are the things that are rewarded. But then Revelation 4.10 says this, now we know the twenty or we believe the twenty-four elders represent the church. <clears throat> and so elders, you know, leave the church on earth, and so there's elders representing the saints in heaven. So this is out of Revelation 4. It says the twenty-four elders, again, in our theology and eschatology, we believe it's it's they represent the church, everybody that's been saved since Pentecost. <clears throat> the twenty-four elders fell down before him who is seated on the throne. So now if you're thinking for me and you, that's the judgment seat. Christ is on. Christ is our judge. His life for mine. You know, you think of it. So these are rewards, right? It's, it's the quality of our works. So if it's wood, hay, and stubble, it'll be burned up and we will suffer loss, right? Because we don't have the reward because it was done in the flesh or done for the praise of men or, or done for ulterior motives are not done at all so it says the 24 elders fall down before him who's seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever they cast their crowns before the throne so the rewards that you symbolically what they're saying is the rewards that we get we really aren't deserving of those rewards and so in an act of worship says they worship the Lord. They cast their crowns. There's a musical group by that name. They cast their crowns before Him. And it says, and they say, worthy are you. Worthy of you. Folks, this is where we're headed. We're headed to the judgment. We're on, Paul says, on that day. We're going to stand before Him on the judgment seat. And we're going to be rewarded for what... That's the day we're looking for. We're working towards the day we see Him. And the Bible says face to face. And we give an account. But remember that judgment seat, even the context, that word judgment seat, was the seat that an official would, would sit at to give the winner of a race his crown. So this is a seat of rewards, not one of bringing up all your sins because His life for mine. He, he's paid for my sin, right? Isn't this a reason to worship Him with thanks, thanksgiving and praise? Is that not? Because it's not about our sins. It's about our simple our simple obedience. Now, while we're here and I'm, I'm chasing rabbits before I ever get to the text, I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to Isaiah 63. Um, I have to do this because I'll never remember to read this at another Bible, another sermon. <laughs> Just like Robbie had mentioned um, that the prophet Zechariah uh, in Zechariah 14 was given the 
some information about the second coming. Now remember, this is what we say the second coming. The, the Old Testament prophets were given prophecies about Christ's first coming. They were. But they were also giving, given prophecies about Christ's second coming. And remember now, the chronological, even it, whatever theology we have, we know that it's at least 2,000 years separated between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. So Isaiah, in Isaiah 63, did I say Isaiah 63? Yeah, good, because it's a big book, I just said Isaiah. Isaiah 63, I want you to listen to, uh, and I'll explain some of this. May, may not, if you have a study Bible, it'll explain it, but I'm in Isaiah 63. I'm going to read, I think, verses 1 through 6. It says, who is this who comes from Edom? Uh, Edomites, Redland. It's almost the name that you could... That's the word Edom is red. It's interesting. Anyway, um, in crimson garments from Basra. Ever hear of Basra? That's a, uh, that still has that same name today. It's talking about from one area of Israel to another. He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength, it is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like His who treads in the winepress? That sound familiar? Why are your garments stained red with juice is what it's saying, like you were treading in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Them. Them. Not us. Not his own. But them. Pronouns, they matter. Their life blood splattered on my garments and stained all of my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath. You can imagine the scene, not only in Armageddon, the valley of Megiddo, but just in the whole areas, God brings the judgment on the world. Specifically, the Bible defines those that have come against Israel in, in the Holy Land. You can imagine the, the chaos as God pours out His wrath. I made them drunk in my wrath. And by the way, we, we do think those last two uh, bowl judgments, we don't have time to read them again this morning. Remember, those last two bowl judgments seem to be somewhat simultaneous right leading up to the Armageddon. So there's a lot going on besides Armageddon. I made them drunk in my wrath and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. And of course, that's where he calls the carry-ons, all the birds to come, 
to come and, and eat the flesh of kings. Now, Matthew chapter 24, your Bible's open to Matthew chapter 24. Isn't that interesting? That that's 600 years before the birth of Jesus, so that was 2,600 years ago that Isaiah was given God's word about that's the second coming. That's when Jesus comes to reign. That's the promise was given to Mary. He will reign on the throne of his father David. Jesus didn't do that the first time he was here. He's got to come back because he's going to reign and he's going to rule the world. In numerous times it says he will, he will rule them with a rod of iron. Jesus is going to be Lord over the world. Matthew chapter 24. Now Jesus is speaking here about the end of days. I'm going to find it in a minute. Uh, Matthew chapter 24. Look at beginning at verse... Uh, Matthew 24. Look at verse 15. says, so, so when you see, now we're going back a little bit. Now, we, we talked about Armageddon, okay, the Valley of Megiddo, the battle, all that. Of course, we know it's not much of a battle. The Word of God takes care of things. But now we're going back a couple, three years, three and a half years. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, Standing in the holy place. By the way, it just reminds us that G did Jesus believe the words of Daniel? Did he? You can answer that. Yes. So do you think if Daniel didn't tell the truth, do you think Jesus might have brought that up since he's the truth? If Jesus did not deny any writings of the Old Testament, and the Old Testament was written then, right, in his life, do you think he who is the truth would have brought up that it wasn't true? Sure he would have, but it's true. So he's quoting Daniel. He mentions Daniel. Daniel spoke of the abomination of desolation. Spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. And, and we know what happens at the abomination of desolation quickly. It's the middle of the tribulation. This is when, you know, the Bible says there's a tribulation and there's a great tribulation. There's seven years, but right in the middle of those seven years, the Antichrist breaks a covenant that he's made with Israel. And he does that by going to Israel. Uh, it seems as if this is going to happen right after he's defeated the two great witnesses. You know, there's two great prophets. Maybe Moses and Elijah come back from the dead. But anyway, he kills them. They're, they're able to, to perform great miracles. They're preaching the gospel. And... He's able to overcome them. And these are, that's the scene where they lie in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days and then they're resurrected. It seems as if it's that scene where he's been the one to overcome them that now he goes straight into the Holy of Holies in the temple and he says, and he, and he, he claims to be God. So we read on. He says, uh, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea, because now everybody in Israel, there's not a covenant of protection a peace treaty with the world, especially those that are around, you know, the enemies of Israel in, in, in that part of the Middle East. So let the reader understand, and, and, and those who are in Judea, let them flee to the mountains, and let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in the house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, and, and for those who who are nursing infants in those days. It's just going to be hard. Per persecution. 
Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Then there's other limitations. For, for then there will be great tribulation. Now, every word in the Bible is infallible. Our, our class is talking about the infallibility of God's Word this morning, and we're studying that in the, in the pastoral epistles. But, but every word's inspired in this book. So every word, is, is, it is as if it's red letter. Do you understand? Your whole Bible's a red letter edition because it is God's Word. But I do want to remind you that this is red letter. This is Jesus teaching about the end of days himself, right? The Lord of all is telling us what's going to happen. And uh, so pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation. Such has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And look right here, you're looking at verse 22. And if those days, what days? Well, I think he's talking about the great tribulation, right? Look what he says. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. So if, if, if the tribulation was not cut short, not, it's not just about the persecution from the Antichrist. He's talking about worldwide. No human being would be saved. There wouldn't be anybody alive if it kept going like this. So it's not only the persecution of, of the Antichrist and the anti-God movement, which is alive today, killing Christians and martyring Christians. It's about the, the, the judgments. And, and by then, at this point, it's probably, you know, it's, we know it's the end of the trumpet judgments, end of the bowl judgments. And there are brutal, there are brutal judgments, right? You know, the demons from the abyss and hailstones and just absolute anarchy on the earth. God pouring out His wrath. But it says, if those days had not been cut short. Now, I have a little note in, in my Bible Right here, I write in my Bible, by the way, and, and if I didn't, I wouldn't remember half the stuff I wanted to say. But right here, there's a little note, and I, I made a note. Those days cut short. Remember how many days, the three and a half? And I'm not saying this is the truth. I'm not saying I know this is what he means by that. I do know he's saying if those days lasted longer than they last, all human beings would be eliminated, and there wouldn't be anybody alive that saved that would inhabit the earthly kingdom because we're going to rule with there's got to be humans here for us to rule with Christ okay so there has to be another kingdom on this earth and he rules the world so so there has to be people alive that that are saved and, and survive the tribulation but then we move on and I don't know if this is how to interpret this but I, I in reading in the last couple of weeks if these days weren't cut short if you go to Revelation, then uh, Daniel does this. He numbers the days for three and a half years. It's, it's 1,260 days, right? Shake your head. You help me out. Okay. Three and a half years. But if you notice, and I don't know if it, but the years are 360-day years, not 365-day years. So it... 
Is it maybe just the 15 days, you know, 365 days or 360 days? If that's three and a half years, you're talking about over 15 days different. You with me? You see my... Because the, the, the prophecy is based on a 360... On a lunar... But, but we're not a lunar. Ours is 365 solar. What I'm saying is, so the prophecies at the end of days, you can read it. We'll read it in three, it's three and a half years. It's 1200, it's talking about 360 day years, not 365 day years. Just interesting. So I'm just wondering if that's, that's what he means by the days that are cut short. That the months, the years become 360 day years in God's calculation. I, just a thought. You, you're not too impressed with that, but I, I thought it was kind of interesting. I move on and read, okay? And of those days, if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. And this is, he explains, not lost people are not going to inherit an earthly kingdom. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. People will reject the mark, come to Christ, but they're still in the flesh, they're still in the fallen nature. But they are going to inherit an earthly kingdom. They're going to be in the flesh. But they have to survive and, and, and they have to fill the earth. And these are the people that Christ will rule uh, during the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign it says that he has. Go to verse uh, 29. We'll just jump to the end, towards the end. But look at uh, verse 29. Uh, Revelation um uh, I'm almost there anyway. Look at verse. It says, immediately, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven. And folks, those of us, you understand the rapture. This is not the rapture. Because I believe in a rapture, and we believe in the heart potso, it's private. You can read, we might read it if we have time. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians. It, those are dead in Christ and those are alive, caught up. Everybody that's saved, dead or alive, or caught up. It's just belief. This is, this is a massive public thing. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. I'm going to remind you, it never says all the races. Right? Because there's how many? One. All the tribes of the earth will mourn, all of them, worldwide. They're going to mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming. Just from a logistic standpoint, because we, this is a miracle, obviously. But how does the world see at one moment in time an event? worldwide when it's darkness there when it's light on this side you know so so god can change all that but one thing we know could happen is 
you know, we have TV. Um, they will see the Son of Man come. It's just like when the dead rise. You know, the prophets, the two prophets that are killed, and after they lay them in the ground, and lay them in, in the middle of Jerusalem, and everybody celebrates and sends presents to everybody because it's like their new Christmas because these two prophets have been killed, and then all of a sudden the world's watching, and all of a sudden God calls them forth, and they're raptured up into heaven. And the world watches. So here the world sees what's going on. It says, so they, are, the sun, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven and with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels. Again, there's a separate event. That heart potso, the angels don't do that. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather the elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So those that are saved, why, why is he gathering the saved? Because they're saved and they're going to inherit the earth and the lost are going to be judged and sent to the lake of fire. This, this is what the Lord said about this. Let's go to Revelation 19 and... I do realize that we're limited in our time this morning. Uh, Revelation chapter 19 now. Let's, uh, by the way, did you know that um, I told somebody <clears throat> this. As a matter of fact, I think I, uh, well, I don't know who I told this to. Bill, I may have told you this. Uh, I, I was reading some scholars this week about the end of days and tribulation and all this and and uh, I trust this. This is pretty good. Uh, it said that for every, for every reference, and we're fishing to celebrate the first coming of Christ, right? That's, that's, you know, we're right there. We're a month away almost from Christmas. We're celebrating the birth of Christ and coming into the world. And God with us, incarnate. So uh, for every, every Bible verse that mentions the coming of Messiah, for every one that mentions the first coming, as in the birth of Christ, the coming Messiah. There's eight that describe the second coming. Isn't that amazing? One, there's eight that describe the second. Can I ask you a question? Did Jesus come the first time? You can ask, let me say, I, it's not a trick question. Did Jesus come the first time? Is he coming again? You, you, can, you can write it down. He's coming. And of course we... We can see the signs in, you know, last days. I mean, we've been living the last days for 2,000 years, but the, we're at the, all the things the Bible talks about would be present. You know and I know that, uh, that they're, you know, the, the pregnancy, you know, Jesus used the word being pregnant, birth pains. We're... we're the birth pains are very obvious that that his coming is is uh, is near. We we know, we know that. Also, I want you to uh, before we read. I I am gonna run out of time. I, I know that. So before I read Revelation nineteen and pick up at verse eleven, let me just say, do you know that um, go go to uh, go to Genesis? Do you know in in the book of Genesis it has a prophecy about the first coming of Christ, okay? Just to tell you that it's all throughout the Old Testament that it prophesied the coming of Messiah. 
But also in the Old Testament, it prophesied the coming of Messiah the second time. But this is, this is a, a, theologically, this is very important. It's Genesis 3. And uh, this is when um, um, look at verse uh, this is after the deception. Uh, verse 14 says, "The Lord God said to the serpent, "Because you have done this, Genesis 3:14, "Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field." On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And look what it says in verse 15. In Revelation 12, somewhat refers to this, but I will put enmity, conflict, war, between you and the woman. Okay? And now the woman is, could be Eve, but it's going to be Israel, right? He marries the nation. That's what it says. It tells Abraham. I will put in me between you and the woman and between your offspring. Yes. And he uses the word seed. The devil has offspring. And it says between your seed and her seed. And the ultimate seed, the seed. Literally, literally you're saying the sperm of the woman. Well, what? who, who can that be talking about? Mary. Who are we talking about? Christ. So in Genesis 3, we're talking about the promise of the first coming of Christ. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise. It's the difference between you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush. He's going to crush your head. Well, in the year, so history begins. Let's just say history begins uh, day one of creation. Less than about 900 years into history. Okay. I want you to hear what the prophet Enoch has to say about the second coming. So go to, there's not a book of Enoch, even though there is, but it's not in the Bible. Once you go to the book of Jude, that's the one right before Revelation. We'll have to close with this, but, but go to Jude, okay? Right before Revelation, it's the book of Jude. And what do we know about Jude? What do we know about him? You can say this out loud, it's okay. He's, he's a brother of Christ, half-brother if you want to say. Jude. So... So Jude mentions what Enoch had to say about the culture at the end of days. I want you to listen to this. Uh, verse uh, fourteen. Said it was also about these. You'd have to go back and read the the wickedness that is mentioned, starting around verse six. But it was also about these that Enoch, and it tells us which Enoch, because there was more than one. One was evil. The seventh from Adam, so the seventh generation. And it's, it's back in Genesis, it tells us that. Um, this is Enoch. We know Enoch because Enoch was one of the ones that was raptured. He walked with God, and he was not. Right? I love that. Because God took him. That's what the text says. It was about these that Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes. You see, they're sitting in the rapture with ten thousands of his holy ones. Why is he coming? To ex did Jesus come to execute judgment the first time? 
We've already no, he came to save, to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly. Look how many times ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I think four times the word in whole or part ungodliness is mentioned that in the last days God's judgment is falling upon a world of ungodly people. Well, let me read you one. Go, go to the book of Revelation. In my Bible, just turn one page. Go to Revelation 1 and, and, and I'll finish with this. I'm in Revelation 1. Tell you what, let's, let's stand together. We'll let this be our benediction of Scripture reading. Let's stand together. Revelation chapter 1. And I'm at verse 4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne, Isaiah mentions that, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. Who's in charge even today? Jesus is. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Amen. And made us a kingdom, priests 